Now, Trumpets, introducing our new election special on culture and politics called Carcass. In Carcass, we're going to be picking over the bones of the week that was and wasn't in arts and culture policy on the campaign trail hustings. And yes, Carcass, yes, the title is, for those who've had the privilege of hearing it, an irreverent take on Caucus, which is an election special podcast helmed by four outstanding and probably far more sensible broadcasters than ourselves. You can hear via podcast or 6pm on Sundays. Here on Carcass, Mark and I are joined today by Jason Politilcutz Muir and Jane Young. Young is a theatre director and arts advocate with Regional Arts Trust Te Taumata Toi Aiwi. And uh, Jason Muir wrangles vacant and public space for artists with the agency Urban Dream Brokerage in Pornaki. Kia ora, korua. Kia ora. Kia ora. <laughs> Jason, <laughs> we mentioned political cuts before, so before we get going, uh, you're a hairdresser down the beehive end of town. I understand you're a beehive boy, maybe. <laughs> 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 to quote the knobs. Not one of Rob's. Not one of Rob's mob. No, 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 no. Well, I put an image up on our webpage for this story of you some years ago giving politician, political hairdos to people in what was a hair salon come sort of live performance art show called Political Cuts. And chalked up on the wall behind you, people can see um, where you're giving people haircuts, uh, such lovely classic haircuts as the David Longy mop, (laughs) the Helen Clark bowl, and the Jenny Shipley which I remember well. I was really interested to start us off by knowing whether in 2023 any of these uh, new politicians are, are providing some new styles to add to the canon. Yeah, kia ora, Mark. Thanks for having us on the show. Um, great topic to start with. Yeah, I think it's really interesting um, to look at kind of hair and, and identity with politicians now. I, I think probably the biggest change that I would say, you know, we certainly see some of those flourishes of the past thinking, you know, Longy's haircut, another favourite of mine was Koro Wetteri's oh, um, comb over. Comb over, yeah. Um, you know, these were quite exotic hairdos. And we've certainly seen a taming down of political hair over time. I guess to kind of think about right now, if I just on a deeper thing, one change I've definitely noticed as a hairdresser is that um, women are presenting themselves in modern politics a lot in a lot more of a feminine, traditional feminine fashion. And I think, you know, um, Jacinda Ardern's kind of the obvious one. But if you look at MPs at the moment, like Erica Sanford for the... Um, uh, the National Party and so forth, where we're seeing a lot more kind of, you know, like you see a lot of young women around town with the longer hair. It's obviously got a bit of colour into it, in it to enhance and what have you. So that kind of change from kind of almost kind of practical, I don't want to say brutal, but just kind of more practical hair to seeing women starting to wear more feminine hair. I think that that's a really interesting trend. And I also would just like to note, um, you know, really we can't go um, past this without acknowledging um, Christopher Luxon's um, haircut, which would definitely make it onto the um, blackboard without a shadow of a doubt, um, because that is quite a statement, isn't it? You know, I mean, I, I understand these things are, um, we see it a lot more around there, and maybe it's a, maybe I'd like to mention it as an ode to the demise of the comb over. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> Well, on Wednesday, speaking of Christopher Luxon, on Wednesday, National Party leader Christopher Luxon helped make the first batch of his namesake gelato at Rollican Gelato in Christchurch. There's a flavour for all the party leaders. Luxon's was blue, ripple, cheesecake and a sprinkle of shortbread chunks. And that's the blueberry lux. All that's missing is some yogurt to ensure some culture. Thanks for that joke, Mark. (laughs) Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah, no. Jane, any thoughts on flavours to come? Flavours to come, um, um, thinking about a crisp 
apple hipkins <laughs> or a or a matcha marama <laughs> maybe a um a schwarberry ripple sounds kind of dirty um or a salty seymour caramel you have oh, really thought about this wow. haven't you? i have i have time. it's really important um and <laughs> yeah. in, in a carcass mm. well, well i'm sure rollicking gelato in christchurch are taking down those uh, those thoughts very carefully yeah, taking notes <laughs> Um, we'll come to your payment on that later. <laughs> Thanks, Jane. Well, here on Carcass, every time we're doing this, um, we hope to do it again, uh, if we're allowed. <laughs> we want to contrast and compare two parties' arts and culture policies. Um, and actually, this week, it's kind of easy. There's really only two parties, I think, and I'm, you guys can stand to see me corrected, have really come up with any kind of semblance of one, and that's the ACT Party and the Greens. Yeah, um, I think I don't mind jumping in here. I, um, I mean, I think that's really striking that both of these parties have, um, you know, kind of kind of come out quite stridently with statements about um, arts and culture. Uh, I think it's interesting that it's two parties that are both, um, you know, kind of have a long history now of being in parliament and being kind of part of governments. Um, and maybe maybe they understand a little bit of the nuance of getting these kinds of statements out there and maybe being able to, you know, in their view, maybe hoover up a few extra votes by kind of having this kind of thought out there. And I and I just for me I think it's quite striking that neither Labour or National have strong statements to make on it. Um, Jane, you um with the with the regional trust there with Tito Mato a toy, uh, you've been doing a bit of work in this area, I think, yeah. We have, and we've been trying to find, this is this is a show called Carcass, so we have been trying to pick amongst the bones for arts and culture policy this election. Um, and I would have to disagree. I feel like uh, ACT does not have an arts and culture policy. They have said some nice statements, um, but there is no policy to go alongside that. The two parties that do are the Green Party and Te Pāti Māori uh, from 2021. Uh, hasn't been refreshed. We're waiting for that. But the Green Party at the moment is the only contender coming out with an arts and culture policy. Um, however, all parties have said nice things um, <laughs> about arts and culture. Um, we don't really know what that means for the future or, or what they'll follow through with that. Um, but but they've had some thoughts. And so uh, at Te Toma Tatoya Iwi, we're going, hey, it's actually really important to have arts and culture um, on the political trail this election. Um, and we've actually started a hub with our friends Rana, the regional arts network Aotearoa, uh, uh, and arts makers Aotearoa, uh, called Arts Action Now. And it's a kind of sector hub that you can go to and have a look at what's kind of needed um, for this election for arts and culture. And what we're kind of calling for is an arts and culture and creativity strategy. Um, because we're like, where's the vision? We want to see change and we want to see it now. Nice. Well, let's have a look at the Greens and the and, mm. and the ACT Party in terms of what they've given us so far. And of course, we might have other things. Let's start with the Greens. Who'd like to start with one of their little, um, they've got a few different things here. Fund alcohol-free venues, fund tikanga Māori and te reo Māori education, increase paid artist residencies, provide long-term funding to cultural and creative organisations, and pay at least the living wage to artists in publicly funded projects. Who'd like to kick off? Yeah, I'd love to jump in because one that you missed out there, Mark, that really interested me, um, and it interested me leading into this as well, was, um, you know, they also gave a nod to looking into uh, not having to use lotteries money. Oh. Um, And I think that, you know, I guess the thing that really that illustrated to me and, and everything else that you're talking about, about the Greens policy, 
was that you saw there that there was a party um, that has actually obviously gone and engaged on some sort of like deep level with the arts community. I don't know who or, or you know, how that there plays out, but I thought that the, the depth of thinking there was definitely um, way more aligned with the community. Um, they've obviously listened to it. And a, and a nod to what you said, Jane, you're actually right. Um, my notes about the act, what I took as policy was that possibly it was written by AI. But anyway, let's um, come back to the Greens. Um, so that was the one that stood out to me, sorry, just to poke it out of the list, was um, may, maybe if people are listening don't realise, but quite a lot of the, certainly the CNZ budget, I'm not sure about wider into MCH, is reliant on um, lotteries money. I and think I've just always, Creative New Zealand, Jason. Yeah, yeah not, yeah, yeah, not great, the ministry money. That's something mm. I've always felt quite uncomfortable about, and I know others have. In terms of uh, the Green, in terms of uh, Act Party policy, yeah, it wasn't really policy, more a resp- more a response to questions about what they would do. And one of the things they've said is, you know, for the arts to be uh, arts funding to be tied to how much private philanthropy and corporate mm. sponsorship or expected ticket sales they'll have, and to see whether it appeals to that broader public broader New Zealand public. But Jane, you sort of said that this is a bit at odds with one of their other ideas. Well, it's sort of interesting because if we're going via popularity, Te Matatini would just receive so a huge bulk of the funding, which is amazing. Um, mm. But also this idea of popularity or funding on popularity and also like it, it's going, will philanthropy chase popularity Mm. does that even work it's kind of like just putting things in little boxes Um, and interestingly to fund innovation or to fund new things in the arts you have to kind of fund things that aren't necessarily popular like for example women's rugby which could be considered an art um, underfunded got funded suddenly amazingly popular Mm, mm. so which one comes first exactly yeah Um, maybe we could talk a little bit back with the greens with this idea of of essentially their well, we're talking back around artists' wages, aren't we, at the moment? Pay at least a living wage to artists in publicly funded projects. That's quite specific. It's not uh, just a, an artist's wage, which was something we talked about on the show last week, but publicly funded projects. So um, I'm not sure. what is the. Who knows what the living wage is at the moment? Is it 26? I think it's just gone up to 27-something. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Yeah, because Korea of New Zealand have just risen their minimum rate to 30. 30 that's right. Um, yeah. I mean, if they could figure out what the infrastructure is that could support that, and it feels like potentially with some of the other policies, this that umbrellas this policy, um, we could see such a change in how the creative sector actually works. And not even just the creative sector, but just like contractors in general, small business in general. Like this policy could go beyond just the arts and culture. What about this funding alcohol-free venues idea? It seems, uh, I'm not sure this obviously come from the, the feedback they're getting. Have people got any thoughts on that? It seems like quite a good idea. I, I, I like it because I think that, um, you know, we have such a, and not just this country, is it, but there's such a culture about going out and having to consume alcohol. And mm. I think from all sorts of angles, um, you know, having having spaces where people can be where that's not a consideration you know, almost a little bit picking up on what Jane says there, whether it's um, for venues or not, you know, alcohol-free spaces can sometimes be a bit difficult to find sometimes, um, community-type spaces and so forth. Um, well, going so out I, is so I, synonymous I, I, I really with champion it. Alcohol. Sorry, sorry. 
No, no, Jason, I was saying going out here in New Zealand is so synonymous with drinking Correct. alcohol. That it's, it's hard to separate the two Correct. a lot of the time. Correct. And what we see overseas is more nightclubs that are alcohol-free. Oh, really? Um, and it's becoming a big thing. And also thinking about the next generation, mm. like what do young people do? Like where can they go? And what a great way to go and enjoy music. So the um, ACT Party, um, it's not a policy, it's certainly some clear directions, but they've said here, Polina, invest in more diverse range of art, i.e. Asian cultures and those living in disadvantaged, isolated communities, wider range, a wider range of investment. Mm. It's hard to argue with that, surely? Yes, and but that's where it... Where it so you've got two sort of polar, potentially polar opposite uh, policies or ideas, if you want to say what, what you were saying before, Jane, that... While on one hand you want to invest in more diverse range of art, you want to be in the community and get in further, but then it's also about funding and popularity. So how's that going to work, you know? Also just interesting to me why it says Asian, (laughs) like, first. Like, that's just so (laughs) specific. I I think they're playing a population game, aren't they? A popular game, aren't they? I mean, because at the same time, they're so stridently against the hate speech legislation that the the government has tried to put through. They've gone on the win with that. But at the same time, they were just totally outraged. David Seymour put out a press release um, and went head-to-head almost with Tusiata Avia, the artist, earlier in the year, calling her racist in terms of, you know, and this whole idea of everything being woke. So it's kind of like, on the one hand, they want free speech, but on the other, they, they're calling out artists for, for speaking freely. Yeah, I actually, um, I'm glad you bring that up, actually, Mark, because that was after I kind of looked over the um, act stuff a bit, I started to feel, I'll be honest, a little bit more dangerous about what they were saying. I think that there was a line in there about, you know, there would be no art funded that, would, that promotes violence, and I can't remember what the other term was, and I almost felt like that was a direct line to the artist that you're mentioning there, um, Tusiata. And actually, like you say, it, in some ways um, it kind of goes against the grain of kind of that so-called freedom of speech that the libertarian side of um, politics tends to, it, you know, as probably as a bit of a known trope now with um, that side of politics, um, that, that they like to um, claim that they're all about free speech until that speech is against something that they're kind of uncomfortable with. And so to me, that actually at its most dangerous level spoke to are we going to start to see some sort of censorship underneath this here? Yeah. Um, which I think is a really interesting question to ask. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear some other thoughts on the panel about that. Can we call out colonisation? Are we not allowed to call out colonisation mm. anymore? Mm. Are we saying that it, it is a violent act to artistically call out mm. violence, past violence, current violence? That's dangerous. And and like you said, Jason, like thinking about that kind of censorship and what is allowed to be censored, but then going, yeah, freedom of speech, and then it's it's not freedom of speech. You're listening to The Carcass. It's our irreverent uh, look at arts and culture in the lead-up to the election here on Culture 101 with Jane Young, Jason Muir and Polina and myself. Thanks for joining us. Um, uh, I've just seen this afternoon the Labour government have announced, or the Labour Party, I should say, have announced a pledge card with nine priorities. None of them are culture. And yet, uh, before the last Australian election last year, Anthony Albanese promised a culture policy for um, the for the country of Australia. He then delivered in January, um, has been overhauling things. He was considering it important enough to, to pledge to do that, and pledge was the word um, that came from their arts spokesperson then, Tony Burke. Why, why haven't we seen this in New Zealand? Oh, I think that um, I feel really strongly about this. Um, 
I think the arts is really lacking a political champion in this country. And I actually, um, I mean, I, I actually think that there's an opportunity for some, um, you know, probably younger aspiring political mind to really like champion the sector. But, you know, like when I looked at that, I haven't read that Australian strategy all the way through. But the first thing that struck me was that here you had this beautiful statement by the Prime Minister, whether he actually wrote it or not or, or whoever, but that he thought that it was so important to put his name on it at the beginning of it. Um, and put the strategy out there and, and make it one of their kind of early things that they did. That shows a real political kind of um, respect for the arts and culture, really, that I feel like there's a massive void for here at the moment. And and I think it's been quite a while before we've had a true um, champion for the arts in our politics. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to say on the show that I think there's an opportunity there for a keen political mind to, um, you know, come and talk to the sector and, and, and really build some mana with it and um, go and champion the arts out there in our politics, you know. Mark, I don't know. I don't know why we don't have a strategy like this. Like, it just kind of makes sense because, as we've seen internationally, everything else comes up. Like, our education comes up, our the way we live, the way we are together, our economy, everything just comes up and just gets better when you think about arts, culture and creativity in our lives, our well-being, and, and just seeing these other po- policies just desig- around crime, around policing and going, actually, if we focused on arts, culture and creativity, we could just create better communities. Well, um, that's thank you for that. What great vibes that says. Um, before we finish here today, because we will come back to Labour and National at another time, um, but I would really like us to finish with the most creative electioneering, <laughs> electioneering performances and acts that we've seen. Um, I've got a good one from my local neighbourhood where um, someone put googly eyes, those, those plastic crafting items, on the act leader's eyeballs on their, um, on their one. And then below they wrote the words, lies have become truth, which someone then changed. This is but chalked up. Flies have become truth. And then in a, in a bit of one-upmanship, the next person put flies have become ruthless. <laughs> it was quite a good one. Art. Uh, yeah, totally. Art. Sorry, I didn't realise that was up in um, Paikokariki, Mark. I did see that um, featured around. I mean, I have to nod to performance art here because, you know, I do think that, polit- you know, like striking politicians are sometimes, I think, our greatest performance artists. The, the one that sticks out for me, this campaign that I've seen, um, has to be... Um, uh, Shane Jones's entry onto TikTok with his uh, remake of Believin', who I I don't know. Oh, I have to see this. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it is just like it, it really. It has so many layers to it, visually, sound wise. Uh, there, there's a lot going on there, and I just like to nod to him for you know if it, if he doesn't get back into Parliament, he should consider a career in performance art because I think he's got all the chops for it. <laughs> do you think our Do you think our political leaders should be making more of an effort to get on social media? Yes, just because I think this election will really be down to young people voting Mm. and that's where young people are going to get a lot of their information. So, yes. So we can get their eyeballs. And and totally. Well, thank you all for joining us. Um, I have got a question here from one of our listeners about... um, uh, Mr. Muron, what your opinion is on the, the wearing of mullets as they're reappearing in Parliament? <laughs> well, I'm I'm really shocked that we haven't seen one this campaign. Is all I can say. That's probably great that that person brought that up because you know that is severely lacking in our politics at the moment. And without a doubt, it'll make things much better, right? If we have some mullets out there. <laughs> Thank you, Jason Muir, Jane Young, Paulina. All thanks for joining us here on Carcass. <laughs> 